Morning's our communion service this morning, and just as people are filing in there, can I just uh, give you a couple of rather sad announcements? Um, you've probably already heard, but it is with deep regret that I announced the death of Sheila Palmer. And Sheila Palmer used to sit down here and uh, she's a lady whose attitude really touched everyone. Her love of life, she was just a shining light in this congregation. And from the depth of my heart, I can, I know I've only been here a year, but from the depth of my heart, can I just say that she'll be sorely missed in this place. Um, the funeral of Mrs. Sheila Palmer will be on Tuesday, the 17th of January. That's not this Tuesday. It's the following Tuesday at 11 a.m. from the church. And then the committal will take place at 4 p.m. Uh, at Roselawn Cemetery. Refreshments will be in Crawford's Burn Inn. And Susan has asked us to help find out numbers that will be joining them for refreshments. And she wanted me to particularly stress, she doesn't want people thinking, oh, I'm not family, so I'll not come for refreshments. She said it is open to the whole congregation who have been really good friends to Sheila. So it's open to everyone. But in order uh, to find out just numbers, to have an estimate of the number of people that were going to be coming for refreshments to the Crawfords Burn-In, uh, Isabel, Isabel has kindly uh, done a sign-up sheet, uh, and Isabel will be at the back in the vestibule after the service. Some people have already signed up. If you haven't signed up and you'd like to go, please do sign up so that we can get an idea of folk that are coming. Uh, and it is also with deep regret that I announce the death of Mr. Jim Geddes, who, uh, with his wife Dorothy, were long-standing members of Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church. And then his health got the better of him, and um, he, he went with his wife to live with Kim, their daughter, in Cumber. And I was over with them this week, and... Uh, I'm going to be taking the service. It'll be this Wednesday. That's the 11th of January, this Wednesday um, at 11.30 a.m. But it's from First Cumber Presbyterian Church. So make sure you don't come here. The service is going to be at First Cumber Presbyterian Church this Wednesday, the 11th of January um, at 11.30. Can I just also thank those who have helped in the taking down of all the Christmas trees. Uh, they came here on Tuesday morning, and that was really appreciated. A lot of hands working well together. So let me just, I'm going to start our service by reading Matthew chapter 3, 13. I was reading this during the week, and what, I thought to myself, what wonderful words these really are. Just a short sentence, 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John. To John the Baptist. Jesus came from Galilee to John. It seems pretty simple, but wouldn't it be lovely for Jesus to come to us this morning? It would be lovely for him just to be in our presence, not just because it's communion, but to come because he feels welcome. And Jesus 
was baptized by John, and what he was doing there was identifying, entering into our mess, entering into our pain, entering into our weakness, and identifying with it. It reminded me of Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the mary clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And Jesus did that for us. He came down here, and he entered our mess, and he entered our weakness, and he entered our sinful world to bring us up. He took us, came down into the pit to bring us up with him. So let's just pray. And we're going to pray for the family of Sheila Palmer and for Jim Geddes' family. But Lord, first we want to thank you for who you are. Lord, we want to thank you for your grace. It's only by your own favored love, favored love that, Lord, that we do not deserve that we are here this morning. It's only by that grace that we can come here this morning, that we can meet around the table Lord, in the past week, we've all failed. In the past week, we've done things that we're not proud of. We've said things that we're not proud of. Lord, our weaknesses have overcome us. And Lord, we thank you that by your grace, we can come forgiven round your table this morning. And Father, we think of people's pain this morning. We think of um, the family of Sheila Palmer. Lord, we thank you for Sheila. Lord, we thank you for the bright spark she was. We thank you for the love she showed. We thank you, Lord, for her Christian faith. We thank you, Lord, just for the brightness that she brought into her room. And I just pray, God, that, uh, that you'd be with her family, which is a big loss, a painful loss. But, Lord, it's also a painful loss for us also. We just pray that you would... Comfort friends and family at this time. And for Jim Geddes, Father, to lose Jim uh, is a heartache for all of that family and for those here, Lord, that, that knew him and knew Dorothy. And we just pray that your presence would be with them, that your strength would be there for them, Lord, that your love would surround them and help them, Lord, over the next couple of days as they prepare for the funeral on Wednesday. May they know your grace and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing, we're going to stand and sing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. This song was going through my head so much this past week. I had to just put it down on the order of service. And I thought to myself, let's, let's, let's sing it so loud that Christ can hear us, because he's here, but that the community can hear us, and that the old devil can hear us as well. Let's sing it with all our hearts. There's, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Change from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Let's stand and worship God.
Okay, it gives me great pleasure to receive in the communicant membership three new communicants this morning. Uh, there's Mr. Sid Bowles, who uh, unfortunately, I was in with him during the week and he was all for coming this morning, but he's not too well this morning. So keep him in your prayers. But he's coming in as a transfer from First Banger, uh, so Sid doesn't need to, to do, undergo the vows. He comes in as a transfer. But also Sarah Gibson and Calvin Adams have both completed the communicant classes and have made it known to myself and to the Kirk Session that they would like to become new communicant members of our congregation. So I'd really encourage you to encourage all three communicant members uh, and make them feel very much a part of this family, make them feel loved and cared for, and their whole family, not just them themselves, their whole family, that uh, we're here, we are a family of God in Ballycrocken, and we want to be there for people and rejoice in the good times and support people in the bad times. So I pray... Uh, that, and I, I just encourage you to, to make yourself known to them, to encourage them and support them. Okay, so I'm going to ask them both now to stand and uh, for a couple of wee vows if they'd like to stand before the congregation. Have you received Jesus Christ to be your Saviour and the Lord of your life? Since Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, will you endeavor with his help to be open to his will for your life, to live in fellowship with him through daily prayer and Bible study, to obey him and honor him in your daily life, and to witness for him by what you say and how you live, to be regular in attendance at worship and at the Lord's table, to be active in the life and work of your own church, to be loyal to its leadership, and to support it financially and in every other way you can to play your full part in his mission to the world? That was a long question, wasn't it? <laughs> so may I just, um, hold on a minute, may I just get a little gift for you from the congregation, and may I just welcome you into the fellowship of the church and give you the right hand of fellowship. And Calvin, likewise, welcome you into the congregation, the fellowship of church. Okay. Please give them a round of applause to encourage them. Okay. I want to read from Matthew chapter 6, a moment, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Now, if you, you can see that there's a couple of... Uh, we, we things that Rini has put together for us, beanbags, got it there. Um, if the children want to come up, it's a wee bit softer than a seat. If you want to come up and sit on a beanbag, yes, and, and chill out a wee bit. Okay, good, good. <laughs> All right, Matthew, brilliant. It's not more comfortable than a seat, isn't it? Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19. Um, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
that last wee verse, it's about you'll love, it'll show you where your heart is by the love you have for something. Now, does anybody have a money bank? A wee piggy bank or anything like that? Anybody got that? You know, where you put your... It's got a lock on it, so you can't get into it. No. Can you not? No. Oh, you have to break into it. <laughs> okay, well, we'll just put these wee, a wee slide on here for you. Want to look? No, not that one. I've got a big word for you. Yes, investment, investment. See, if you have a wee piggy bank, like I used to have a wee money bank, you put the coins in it, and then your mum and dad wouldn't let you get it out until you're a lot older. Well, the thing is, it's not going to grow without our help. But you know what? An investment is about taking something small and making it, allowing it to grow. For example, if you put some money in the bank, in the big bank, then if the interest rate is good, and maybe you don't understand about that, but it means that it'll grow money for you. Look, it makes your money grow in the bank. So if I put in 10 pounds today, in about 10 years I might go and find I can get out 20 pounds. <laughs> it used to be like that, but not so much today. But anyway, it makes your money grow from something very small, to something bigger. Okay, but also, do you know what an investment is also? Farmers invest every year. Farmers invest. They take small little seeds, like these seeds. They take small little seeds, like seeds I have in my pocket, if I can find them. They're so small, I can't find them. Here they are. No, it's not. It's a receipt. Hold on a minute. Hold on, I'm taking out all my pockets. There, there are seeds. You take some very small little seeds that are so, so small, and farmers do that with, with wheat and barley and vegetables, and they put, they're investing. They put something very small into the ground so that it will invest, they're investing, that they might get a harvest and make lots of money and feed lots of people. So that's what investment is about. It's about having something really small and allowing... Yes, I know it's boring, but it's... <laughs> okay. Having something really small like a seed and investing in it so it grows bigger. Okay. Now, I bet you didn't know... Oh, you're coming back. Good on you. Have you got? You just eat whatever you want. Just take your time there. Here, do you want me to give you a hand opening it? You are. Oh, you've got chocolate buttons. Oh, lovely. Is that to keep you quiet during the service? Is it? <laughs> That's what my mum and dad used to do. Okay. Now, it actually says in the Bible that you can invest in heaven. It's not amazing that you can actually invest in heaven. And I'm going to show you today. Three ways you can invest in heaven, and they're, they're all to do with prayer. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, okay? And the first thing, the best thing you could do, the best investment ever is giving your life to Jesus Christ. 
Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, we might feel like very, very small. Do you remember that story? Do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? And the wee boy came along and his mum had packed some lunchbox for him, just like you've got chocolate buttons. His mum had packed him five loaves, two fish, put them in the lunchbox, said, that's it, that'll do you for lunch when you're listening to Jesus. So out he went and he opened his lunchbox and there were 5,000 people around and they all needed fed. So this wee boy didn't have much. It wasn't much, it was just about to feed him. But he went and he gave it to Jesus. And that very small thing, Jesus was able to turn to feed 5,000 people. That's investment. And you know, boys and girls, you might think you're, you're very small. Well, you are very small. But we're all small compared to God. And we're all very tiny. We might think we don't have an awful lot to give. But when we come and give our lives to Jesus Christ, he can take us and use us. And our lives will be so meaningful and so fulfilling because he'll be guiding us. And one thing is we're told that he makes us children of God, which is absolutely amazing. Okay, so I remember reading about this wee boy and he'd given his life to Jesus Christ. And they were going around the church and they took the collection plate and people were putting money in the collection plate. And the wee boy looked in his pockets and he didn't have anything. He was only a wee young lad. He didn't have any money. Do you know what he did when the collection plate came to him? He put it down on the ground and he stood in it. And he said to Jesus, I don't have any money, but I'm giving you my life. And that's the biggest investment you can ever have to give your life to Jesus Christ. But you know, boys and girls, you can also invest in others as well. Praying for others. Because you might know someone who's not too well, who's quite sick. You might know someone who is going through a very sad patch in their lives. And there's a limit to what we can do but you know what? There's not a limit to what God can do. So would we ask God to help others? We're investing and God can help and answer and heal and comfort more than we could ever do. But finally, and you have listened very well, we can invest in God's strength. How strong are you? How strong are you? You're strong? Could you do 10 press-ups, do you think? Though I couldn't. <laughs> but all of us, even the strongest man in the world, is very limited in his strength. And you know what? There, when we get, we, we get weak, and we are all weak at times, and sometimes we just feel so frail, and especially older people, you know, we can find strength investing in God by prayer. You know, we're told that... Paul talks about feeling really broken. He's been beaten up. He's been hurt. He's been treading water for days at times in this ocean. He's been shipwrecked. He's been, he's been bitten by a snake. All of those things. And he feels weak. But he says, do you know what? When I come to God, God gives me strength within. So look, see this? This is a vitamin which sometimes I take, and it's called Baraka, but it's full of vitamin C. So whenever I drink that, I feel like I can run around the car park. 
But, and it's a wee bit like that. That's only a small amount. Whenever we have God in our lives, no matter how weak we feel, when we come to God and ask him for strength, he can give us strength. It may not be physical strength. It might be strength inside to help us deal with a situation or to cope with a struggle or a difficult period in our lives. He can provide that strength. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs> You're not going to give me a chocolate button? Have you none left? <laughs> I would just love a chocolate button. This would keep me going. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, that is lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Well, I've got a wee video for you now, and it's about laying up treasures in heaven, about investing in heaven. And it's a wee children's chorus. I'd never heard of it before, but let's just sit and watch it, shall we? to remember those three things. First thing, by investing in God, by giving your lives to Jesus Christ, that's the best ever investment you could ever make in your life. Secondly, you can invest in praying for others. 
You can lay up treasures. Pray on their behalfs. Pray for people that are going through difficult times that don't feel that they can pray at the moment themselves. And pray for strength. Because all of you, at some point, you might be feeling great now, but at some point, you'll go through a time when you feel weak. And Paul says, whenever I'm weak, that's when I depend on God. That's when I know God's strength for real. So I want you to remember those things as adults as well as children. So, boys and girls, thank you for coming this morning. And you can head out to Sunday school and Bible class. And I hope you have a great time. Do you like the beanbags? Like them? It was Rini made them. Rini made them. Okay. I'm going to call on Adrian Jordan now, who's going to come and uh, do an intercessory prayer for us. Let's pray. Lord, the, the Magi came from the East. Worship your son. And so, Father, we ask you to give us that same spirit of adoration and that through our worship, we would reflect the light. Lord, you sent your Son to guide us. And in this new year, we pray that you would always be present in our lives and in this church to lead your church here and worldwide. Lord, reassure us by your Holy Spirit that whatever this next year holds, we are never alone. We lay before you our plans, our hopes, our problems and fears. And we ask for your overruling in all. Lord, inspire us. Give us new creativity and greater desire to reach out with your love to all around us. And as we face the start of 2023, Lord, we pray for your world. We pray for justice, integrity, and compassion for all those in authority. We pray for peace and security where there has been little or none. We commit to you all areas of the world currently at war and ask that the leaders there would find solutions and bring peace to those areas. We pray too for those countries facing famine and destruction. Lord, we pray again too that solutions would be found in those countries. 
And Lord, as Jesus grew, he shared in family life. And we pray that he would be at the very centre of all our families here and also this church family. Guide us in our relationships with family and neighbours and open our eyes to the needs of others and give us generous hearts. Lord, we continue to pray for those who are ill whether in hospital or home. Lord, bring healing, and we especially pray for Tom and Stephen. We lift up to you the families of those who have died in recent weeks and ask for your comfort and presence. And Lord, in a time of silence, will you listen to our hearts? Bring to the Lord those who are dear to you or near to you or those you know who are in distress or need your prayers. Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. We thank you for this new year and the potential within it. Make us a people of hope and thankfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness as we move forward. And this day we give ourselves wholeheartedly in the service of your kingdom. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Adrian. <clears throat> I'd like to read um, from John 19. Uh, John 19, verses 1 to 30. John 19, verses 1 to 30. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? 
Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray a moment, Father. Father, we, we just want uh, to try and capture Lord, the pain of this moment for your son. We read about it in the gospel. We might be shocked by it, but Lord, we didn't have to live it. But your son went through this. What we read, Lord, he went through this. And he went through it for each of us. Lord, I pray that as we listen to your word, and as we come around the table, that, Lord, that you might press within us the reality of this situation, what you did for each and every one of us. 
May we grasp it to a certain extent that it might change our lives, that it might change our attitudes, that it might make us with joy surrender every aspect of our lives for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Alfred Hitchcock, I don't know if you remember him, some of the older people will, but he, he wrote a story, lots of different short stories, but many years ago, uh, there was one that was shown on television in black and white, and it was about a pretty woman. She was serving a sentence in prison, and she was angry, she was resentful about her situation, so she decided very cunningly and cleverly to arrange her escape by using uh, the, the prison caretaker. As I said, she was very pretty, caught her, his attention many times. They'd grown in a close relationship over the years. And uh, he was responsible. One of his responsibilities was to bury dead prisoners in a grave that was just outside the prison walls. And there was a set procedure every time an inmate died. When an inmate died, the caretaker would ring a bell. And he would then get the body and he'd place it in the coffin. And he would then enter his office in order to fill out the death certificate before returning back into this dark room where the coffins were. And he would nail the appropriate coffin shut. Finally, he would take the coffin, he'd place it on his old wagon and he'd take it to the graveyard up, up, a bit, up the hill a bit and he'd bury it there. So the woman knowing his routine, and it was very, very clear what his routine was, she devised a very cunning plan to escape. She told her friend, the caretaker, now he wasn't too happy about it because, but, because it was a bit risky, but also was a bit dishonest, but also because he had a relationship with her over the years, he found it hard to say no to her. So he decided to go through with it. So the plan was that the next time the bell would ring, the woman would leave her cell and she'd sneak out into the dark room where the coffins are kept and she would quietly slip into the coffin where the dead body was while the caretaker was filling in the death certificate in the next room. She would then be in the coffin with the dead person. He would then take the coffin on his wagon, take it up the hill, bury it, and come back later that night when everybody's going to sleep and he would dig, uh, dig the coffin back up again so that she could then get out and released. And it was a tremendous plan and it looked like it couldn't fail. Her freedom, she was so excited, was surely in sight. And so they, they waited several months before there was another death in the prison. And then that awaited moment came. She heard the bell ring. She followed the plan, as was agreed by the caretaker. She picked the lock of her cell, which she was well used to doing by now. And she walked to the darkened room where all the coffins were kept. And quietly, she found the coffin that contained the dead body. And she climbed inside and pulled the lid shut. And soon she heard the footsteps and pounding of the hammer and the nails. And she was excited that soon she was going to be free. And she could feel the coffin being lifted and put on the wagon. And she could feel the bumpiness of the, the road beneath her as the wagon took the coffin up to the graveyard. And the, gra the, the grave was open and she felt her, the coffin being lowered down into the grave and could hear then 
as the grave diggers through or the, the, the soil on top. Now, it was quite a terrifying film, but inside she felt joy. She felt an incredible excitement. I'm going to be free very, very soon. This is tremendous. So she waited in silence for several minutes just to make sure that there was no one above her on the ground. And she was so excited and she wondered, I wonder who the dead person was that died. So she struck the match and lit up the match and looked beside her and it was the caretaker. (laughs) And the Hitchcock film finishes with just this blackness coming over the screen and you could hear her screaming. So (laughs) you may wonder where I'm going with this. (laughs) But many people feel that they have life all figured out. That if they live a good life, they'll enter into heaven. But, and that's why I wanted to read so much of that chapter, because as we look at this chapter and we see what Jesus had to go through in order to buy us that salvation, it's clear that our salvation doesn't depend upon our goodness, but upon Christ, upon his death, and our response to it. You know, if we could access heaven by our own goodness, then this whole event, which we're going to look at, it was for nothing. Someone recently asked me, Mark, what's the difference between going to church and Sunday school and a relationship with Jesus? There's a massive difference, actually. You know, when I look at Jesus in this chapter... I see a very lonely Jesus. I see a lonely Savior. The disciples have fled. One betrayed him. One denied him. Pilate takes him and has him flogged. And sometimes Roman floggings would actually kill the person before they ever got to the cross and the crucifixion. And the soldiers who do the flow, the beating of it, or the, the soldiers who do uh, the floggings, they beat him within inches of his life. They place a crown of thorns on his head. They make fun of him. They mockingly shout at him, Hail, King of the Jews. We're told in the Greek that they took their fists. We don't get that in the English as much, but in the Greek, we're told it was their fists they took. And they struck him again and again and again in the face. And when he's brought back to Pilate, he looks an absolute pitiful sight. And Pilate makes the comment, behold the man. He doesn't know what to say. He just says, behold the man. And it reminds me of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by man. A lonely Jesus, a lonely Savior, but he was also lonely because he was detached from any family or friends. Beyond the reach of family and friends, after his beating, Pilate hands him over to the Jewish authorities and they hand him back over to him again. We don't want him. Crucify him. 
Pilate hands him over to King Herod, who also doesn't want him. He hands him back to him. They don't want Jesus. The Jews don't want Jesus. No one seems to want Jesus. They'd rather have Barabbas, a convicted murderer. Jesus, despised, rejected by men, a lonely man, a lonely saviour. Pilate gets a bowl and some soap and a towel and he washes his hands and the whole thing. He wants nothing more to do with it. Even such a sinful man and an arrogant man recognizes that there's something going on here that is just wrong. And he gives in to their cries and he orders him to be crucified. And I suspect that that haunted Pilate for a very long time. Tradition tells us that Pilate, eight years later, committed suicide in Vienna. You know, few were closer in proximity to Jesus face-to-face than Pilate was. But he had how sad it was that he had the Savior of the world standing right in front of him, and yet he missed salvation. You know, you may have been listening to the gospel for many years, but you've missed it. You may be happy with church life, but miss Christ's central purpose. Mark, what's the difference between going to church and Sunday school and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, there's a massive difference. For a start, why go through with this Jesus? That's what you should ask Jesus. If, if, if there's another way, why would Jesus go through what we're looking at this morning? Why would he go through all of that if you could have got to heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, by your own means, by your own goodness? Jesus, from the height of the cross, cut off even from his mother, as he looks down and he sees his mother, but even his mother can't help them. What a frustration for Mary. You know, when Jesus was a child, if he failed, Mary would pick him up, dust him down. If he cut his knee, Mary would wash the wound. When Jesus was upset, she was there to wipe his tears. And I'm sure Mary was often a listening ear as Jesus grew up as a teenager listening to Jesus talk. But now at the foot of the cross, she was close to him, watching her son bleeding like he'd never bled before, suffering like he'd never suffered before, and yet she was unable to do anything for him. How difficult. And those who are mothers here this morning, do you ever stop worrying about your child? But how difficult as a mother would that have been for her? And when Jesus hands her over to John for his keeping, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. When that happens, the ties with his own mother are cut. We see a lonely saviour bereft of anyone 
family, friends, lonely on the cross. But then as Matthew and Mark give account in their gospel, darkness comes over all the land. There's one more tie that still needs to be cut. A tie that had been there always right back into eternity. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why? And Jesus knows why. He understands why. But it still hurts. Deeply hurts. Never known not being close to his father, but suddenly now that tie is cut and we're told the darkness covers all the land. God can't look upon his own son because of what his own son has come to represent. As he hangs on the cross, his son carries the sins, your sins, my sins, every sin that's ever been committed in your life or in my life, past, present, future, is on him. And his father can't look on it. He dies on the cross with not a friend or family member or even his heavenly father to help him. And with one last breath, he cries, it is finished. Do you remember the illustration of the woman in prison planning her escape? Convinced that she would be soon free? She had it all worked out. But in the end, she was devastated to find out that the caretaker she was trusting was lying dead in the coffin beside her. If you this morning are trusting in your own goodness to gain you access into the kingdom of heaven, you're trusting in a dead caretaker. Listen to Peter when he speaks to the Jewish leaders about Jesus in Acts 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way of salvation. And I know in our society, today that doesn't go down well. But he is the only way. He is the only way. And we see him going through this agony and this pain and this suffering and be cut, cut, cutting the ties from everyone. Even the Heavenly Father cuts his ties with him so that he might finish the work on the cross of taking the punishment which we were due for our sin. So that whenever we come and we give our lives to Christ and we receive him, then we receive his robe of righteousness, his cleansing power, just as he received our sin on his shoulders. You know, check it out in the word of God, please do. But the word of God is God's blueprint for our salvation And Christ is the only one who fulfills God's blueprint. Mark, what's the difference between going to church and Sunday school? 
and a relationship with Jesus. What's the difference between a religion and Jesus, a relationship with him? There's a massive difference. You can be an avid church goer, but still go to a lost eternity. You can be the most religious person in town, but still be lost. Going to Sunday school is good. Going to Bible class is good. Going to church is good. All of those are to encourage and help you. But it's only an empty shell without a relationship with Christ. Being a Christian is all about that faith response to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Just as I am, without one play. So Billy Graham crusade, they used to play that at the end of each meeting. Just as I am without one play. I don't have one play. I can't point to the good things in my life. They're not enough to get me into heaven because one sin's enough to keep me out of heaven. Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. You were shed in my place. You were punished in my place. And you bid me come today. It's as simple as that. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And I say this with great love for you as a congregation. Please don't put your faith in a dead caretaker in some dead notion that somehow you can make it into the kingdom of heaven by your own goodness. If you could get into heaven on your own merits, do you think that Christ's heavenly Father would have allowed his son to go through the horrendous death which I've just described to you? Do you think he would allow him to go through the pain and the humiliation and the loneliness if all the time there was a back door available? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman comes to the Father but by me. And I would ask you, please, if you haven't already, come to Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Please do. And what a better time to do it than before we come round the Lord's table. You know, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, people have thought I was a Christian all the time anyway. I might be embarrassed. Shun your embarrassment. Your relationship with Christ and your salvation is much more important than any sense of pride. Put your soul first. And the people that you think might judge you should be the, will be the people that love you. Please come. Ask him for forgiveness. Trust that what he did at Calvary, he did for you. Receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. Ask him this morning. Don't leave here. Don't put it off. I don't mind sitting here to four o'clock this afternoon if there's people who want to sit and chat and come to faith in Christ. 
Don't put it off, because you'll go home, and you'll get your chicken dinner, and you'll forget all about it. Do it today. As we play this reflective hymn in a moment, we're going to just remain seated, but let me just pray with you. And just pray from your heart this prayer. It'll be, it's, it's, it's not, it's a start. It's only a start. But it's saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to be yours. I want to live for you. I want to respond to what you've done for me. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for what you did for me at Calvary, for the pain, humiliation, loneliness that you bore for me. that I may never be cut off from God. I ask you to be my savior, to be my master, to be my friend. Forgive my sin. Help me, Lord Jesus, to turn from my sin. and live for you the rest of my days and into eternity. Amen. Let's listen to this as we're getting ready, preparing ourselves for communion.
been looking a wee bit about our investment in Christ this morning, but God's greatest investment was his investment in us. God gave his only son. The writer of the Hebrews calls us to use Jesus as our example. Let us run the race looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? You were. I was. Knowing that one day you would come to faith, that I would come to faith, was what kept him going. In those cruel moments of crucifixion, it was for you. It was for me. Let's give thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're not dependent on a dead caretaker, but on a risen carpenter, Son of God, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, but yet he hung there for us, for our peace. Lord, we thank you for these emblems, this wine and the bread this morning, Lord, which only are symbols of the pain that you went through. Lord Jesus, I pray that this week as we meditate upon your word, as we think about what you went through, Lord, that it might be more real to us as we realize how difficult it was for you. That to have you as the Son of God asking the night before if there be any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Lord, come, you know each person here. You know each person's anxiety. You know each person's difficulty. You know what they face perhaps this week or the next month. Lord, and you don't want them to face it alone. Come to them and meet by your spirit this morning around your table. Come and meet from seat to seat and heart to heart. And may they go out of here encouraged and knowing that they have met with their Savior. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, Take eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share together in eating the bread.
the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. death wasn't the end. Death could not hold him. We don't celebrate a dead saviour this morning. We celebrate a risen saviour. One who's able to walk by your side every step of the way this week, next week, in the years to come. So we're going we're gonna to sing to finish. See what a morning. I love this song. I know it's not Easter yet, but we can celebrate it every day. See what a morning. I love the line, death is dead, love is won, Christ is conquered. Hallelujah. Christ has conquered.
God of hope fill you and with, with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.